0: Welcome back to a hoops journey. Uh, Corbin and I have been chasing this individual down for a long time. We are super um, pumped to have this gentleman on. Um, not for just what he stands for in the basketball community, but also as a human being, um, as a father, um, just a, a great individual. If you've ever been around uh, Ransford Brempong, you know that he has a different energy and a different spirit about him. Um, I've seen him as a coach. Um, I've had private conversations with him offline as well. And his journey is is crazy. He's a he's an intellect, he's a poet, he's a hooper, um he's a father, he's a skater, he's he's a musician, um and is a great, great guy. And we are super, super excited to have Ransford on today. How are you, man?
1: I'm good. I'm good, glad to be here. I didn't even realize there was all those things until you mentioned them again, so thank you.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and this is what we've really enjoyed about this show is uh, allowing people to just reflect on their past a little bit and where they've come and what their their future holds for them and yeah that's how we view you man we view you as a very well-rounded person and uh, you you spin a lot of plates there's no doubt about that and that's probably why it's so hard to uh, to track you down but we do appreciate your time. how is everything going? Um, I know you're involved with some you know new academy stuff and now we're back to kind of being, almost you know i don't want to use the word stuck but kind of at home again and you know you're juggling your marriage and your kids and everything else so how how's life for the brem palm family and and yourself right now
1: um yeah so i mean it, i'd be lying if i didn't say that this hadn't been the or hasn't been maybe the most trying year of, of my life but i think that's that's like unilaterally for everybody it's just been 2020 has been a year that will uh it's being written in the history books as we live it, you know, it's, uh, everything seems to be unprecedented and we've made it this far, but I, I mean, I always say that, and I've been saying this a lot to some friends that I think that 2020 is made for people who are like resilient, you know, for people who can adapt. And I've always been that type of person. So, um, with my family, we've been, it's been hard at times, but uh, our our model from the beginning of the first shutdown or or quarantine was, um, or the lockdown was, uh, we're we're going to be thriving, you know. We're not going to be uh, over here, you know, acting or worrying about sort of our, the the what we can't control. We're just going to thrive in the situation. So I'd say, like with things right now, like in terms of how my family's been doing, we've been doing great. Like the kids of uh, my three kids have really bonded and got really close. My wife. Uh, you know, thankfully her job has been really good. And, and so she's never slowed down there. And for me, um, you know, within the basketball community, I just it gave me opportunity to kind of have a little bit more clarity and figure out exactly how I could help best and what would be most, uh, suitable for my time. So overall it's been, it's been hard, but it's been good. Yeah.
0: Good to hear, man. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes maybe in life, we, we, uh, We don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable or say, like, I'm not well. But I think in this time, especially, you know, with COVID, you know, everything else that's happened in the world, like, it's okay to say, you know what, it has been hard, but we're still being resilient and getting through it. So, thank you for that reflection, man. Let's get right into it. So, I, I think, you know... You've you've established yourself in the community here in BC, and, and you've coached you know across Canada now, and had many you know cool opportunities. But I don't think a lot of people know your true story and maybe where you're from. Um, so just talk about a young Rands and and what life was like for you and how you know sports started to come into your life and and you know your journey started to begin.
1: For sure. Um... So, yeah, I I don't know if everyone really realizes. I think they know that I'm not uh, originally from B.C. because I hadn't been here from the beginning. But uh, I don't know if everyone knows that I was originally born in Winnipeg. Uh, My parents are from Ghana, West Africa, and they moved here in their early 30s. And then um, they started to have kids. So then me, my brother and my sister we're born in Winnipeg, and we lived uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Friendly Manitoba. Shout out for all my all my uh, Manitobans and people out in Winnipeg. We lived there for thirteen winters. I said because it was uh, it was cold, and it was uh, it was a beautiful place to grow up as a kid. Because um, Winnipeg, like they like the license plate says, "Friendly Manitoba," isn't like that on by coincidence. It's like that because you have to rely on your neighbors when you're when you know when your car you have to plug in your car. or you you need sugar or you, whatever it is, like you, you go to your neighbors a lot and everyone seemed to really, you know, get together and help each other out through those winter months. So that sort of became like a sort of a staple of my character. I was always someone that was able to, from my Winnipeg experiences, I could say was able to relate to a lot of people and didn't see myself as different from my fellow man, regardless of what they look like. Um, And then I moved to, uh, Toronto or more, more specifically Thornhill, Ontario, which is uh, a bit of like a suburb of Markham and bond in that area. And I moved there when I was in grade seven, uh, 92, 93, my family moved there. And that's where I, I say, I kind of was raised there. I mean, I went to high school there. Um, I really started playing basketball competitively for the first time there. Um, and yeah so that's sort of just a quick uh, Winnipeg then Toronto and then from Toronto I went to North Carolina where I played basketball uh, at a school called Western Carolina on scholarship for five years and then I went to Europe for about six years and ended up in Squamish after that and then from Squamish ended up in uh, North Bend and Deep Cove where I'm living right now for the past uh, five years so that's just a quick sort of uh, time capsule of, of where I started and where I'm at now. You
0: got it. Yeah. And that's it for hoops journey. Uh, we'll see you on the next episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, man. I mean, I, I'm not sure you're aware, but you know, I did, I played at Brandon and spent and finished my education yeah. degree out there. Corbin has family as well from Winnipeg and you nailed it on the head, man. I couldn't believe the way people treated me when I was there. Just so friendly and welcoming. And we had Carl English on the show a few episodes ago, and he talked about community as well and and just how, yeah. you know, you're you're in the cove and you it's it seems like, you know, from what I see is you almost have a little community yourself there, too. And I think we need more of that, man. Like, why? Why are we locking our doors and, you know, why are we why do we have to worry about our neighbor? Why don't we know those people and create relationships and be able to rely on them when we're out of town and those things? And sure. those are good reflections and things for people to hear. I think sometimes we just, you know, we piss on the prairies because it's cold and snowy and it's like, man, those are hardworking, good people, man. And we can learn a lot from them for sure. And so, you know, were you not really into hoops too much when you were in in Winnipeg or was it, you were, and then when you, when you moved to Ontario, that's when it was like, okay, it was just around you all the time. Or what was, what was that like? When did you you really start to become in and identify yourself as a hooper?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, my, my, I mean, my first sport was soccer. I was from kindergarten to about grade six. Uh funny story with soccer, how that ended with me was, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, as you get older in any sport, it starts to become more, um, focused. And as it became more focused, the practices became a little bit harder. The coaches became a little bit more intense and, um, I just wasn't really loving it. I didn't have the passion for it anymore. I didn't feel like I felt like it wasn't I wasn't playing as much as I wanted to. And I had this team, and my dad signed me up, and he used to drop me off around the corner, and I used to always start walking my way there, and then I'd end up making a beeline for Seven Eleven, and I'd go to Seven Eleven get some like Upper Deck <laughs> hockey cards and whatever, and sit in the back and chill. And it went on for a while until my dad finally like the per- our coach reached out to my dad and said, Hey, you know, Rance hasn't been coming. He's like, What do you mean? I've been dropping him off. Long story short, my dad was like, you got to go. And I was like, you know what, dad, it's just not for me. And, and he said, like, you know, he said, I'm going to drop you off. You're going to go. And then I kept doing the same thing. And I think he found out and he just said, you know what, you're going to learn your lesson. And it was a beautiful lesson. I'm telling this story because mm-hmm. um, that team ended up winning the whole cities. They won everything. They won the whole shebang, right? And I was the guy that, like, you know, and when they won, my dad I remember being in the car and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, the team that you were playing on, they ended up like they won the regionals and they're going to cities and then they won cities and then they won everything. And I just felt like, yeah, like I learned like sometimes you don't always learn the lessons you need in life by like having success sometimes you learn by like the things that you don't do that you wish you would have done differently and so for me that was like my end of my soccer career whatever it's good I, I got like good footwork and learned some stuff with team sports but for me that's where it ended for me and, and I didn't really love it so it was good that I then made the decision but I realized that like you need to dedicate to whatever you're doing the most if you want to have success in it so I went I'd say soccer was my first sport, and then I was like younger kid. I was into track and field—the 100, 200, high jump, long jump. Those are all sports I, you know, I was competitive in. And then cross country was another one. I, I was just I like to compete when I was younger. That was something that I loved to do. I'd say basketball was my favorite sport culturally up until or, or starting around grade five. So I mean, for me, that's like eighty-nine, ninety. Those are like the beginning of like the Jordan the Jordan air. Right. And Mm -hmm. I, uh, I just, I fell in love with the game. I remember, you know, it was, it was for me at a young age that there were certain things that when I went to my cousin's houses or we had family events that were big events that every, we turned on the TV and everyone watched it was like Michael Jackson's new music video. Everyone watched it was uh, you know, MJ in the finals, or like you know, Phoenix Suns. I'm rooting for Charles Barkley just because you know I'm uh, I'm rooting for you and just because until I finally realized no, Jordan's the goat. Like I have to root for. So that's where my love for basketball started. Um, I mean, I'd say in grade five, and then when I got to Toronto is when it kind of you know culturally was like my favorite sport. I wanted to be like oh, I'm a basketball player because it was a cool thing and I loved the game, but I didn't really work on my game that much. And then. For me, um, that moment sort of where I had like, a, I don't know, there was a uh, there was a pinnacle moment in my basketball career and my life where I had to choose one way or the other was in grade nine when I didn't make uh, my high school team. So I got cut, you know, and I, I deserved to get cut. It wasn't that good, and it hurt, and I'm glad that it hurt because it made me again have that realization, like, Grants, if you want this, like, you got to want it. Like, you got to actually put in some work to get – whatever you want. And so, yeah, I got cut. I, you know, I shed some tears. My mom was like, you know, just keep working. And I, I remember that year of grade nine, I, uh, I lived on the basketball court, like on an outdoor court around the court, around the corner from my house. I was embarrassed to go to school. I did not want to watch another games. It was like all the guys on the team that I thought I was better than were on the team. And my brother was on the senior team. And then here I am, I can't even make the grade nine team. Right. And so I, uh, I just kept on I kept on working that that uh, that year, and I I didn't even call it work. I just found my passion. I just was on the court a lot, and and then I I got lucky, you know. I got blessed, and and my dad always says, "Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity." And for me, uh, I mean, what happened to me—the opportunity that I got—was I grew from five nine to six foot four over the summer of grade nine to grade ten. So, (laughs) I mean, I put—I was on the court a lot. I had a chip on my shoulder and then i went from yeah i went you know over three quarter three months i i blew out of my shoes i like busted out of my pants like i literally just grew out of everything i owned and uh yeah i came into grade 10 and i was sort of uh everyone had the look like who you see rance it was like sort of the whisperings of the first couple of weeks of school You see, like rance is like a lot taller and then yeah from there it just snowballed
0: that's crazy and do you think maybe like when, I, you know, when you came and worked at our camp and the stuff that I've seen you do, you really do as a coach, you work from the ground up. So is that why you value footwork so much, do you think? Because you had that, that skill set and then when you grew, your body was kind of ready or was your body not ready and you had to focus on footwork after that growth spurt? Because I, I know that you make it a big focus yeah. for a lot of young athletes. It's a
1: good question. I mean, for me, it's, it's more so that I didn't have it. So like in growing that much, that quickly, I was <laughs> really gang- gangly Some people might say I'm still that way. You know, like I, I think I'm starting to move away from the, Hey, that guy's really lanky and long and his limbs are all over the place. But that's how I was for like, even into my college career, people were like, wow, that guy looks like a, you know, like whatever you want to call it. Like he looks like mm-hmm. Bambi, he looks like, like he's going to grow to something, but he's not there yet. Right. And so, yeah. For me, it was uh, I just realized to play. and I had a certain coach when I was sixteen who was, you know, he was quite hard on me, and he was what I needed. And he just, you know, he didn't he didn't hold no punches. He just said, "Ranch, you know, you got a lot of potential, but like you got to figure out like that's a travel." And he's like, "Do it again. That's a travel. He's like you, you're traveling every time." And you know, and for early on, early on in my career, I was a guy that, you know, I would make. A beautiful move and dunk it and as I'm dunking it I'd hear a tweet I'm like ah <laughs> travel you know I'm like damn it you know so I, it just became something that I knew I had to focus on you know if I didn't focus on it like I literally wasn't gonna play like it didn't matter how nice of a move or what I did if I used my quickness because I was quick for my height but I, my footwork was garbage and so uh, it was something that I had to focus on a lot and in focusing on it I just realized that you know people learn different ways so people learn some of it by you know seeing it some people learn by doing it you know um but regardless like when you when you're teaching the game you have to find out which way someone learns and if you can explain to them like okay look you have two you know you have a right foot and a left foot you don't have two right feet and you know if you're telling me that you're a basketball player but you can only do something to the right side you can't do the exact same thing to the left you know what that means, you know, and I and I like to do that to be able to explain to someone where they have to kind of just be honest with themselves. And I think that's what footwork is a bit. It's like, you have to be honest with yourself. Like, can you do this right now? If I go through a ladder and I do this move, can you do it? If you can't do it, then you're not, don't expect to have success in the game when it's supposed to happen naturally and someone's cutting you off, right? So that's sort of why with footwork, it just became something that I just for my whole career from and and just to, to state that from when i realized or when i came into the game really lanky and all that till literally me playing for the bandits last year i still focused on footwork as my number one thing to kind of just get me ahead of the game and and you know we'll talk about it a little bit more i think later on but there were certain players i played with in my career where i just realized that like their footwork and sort of their attention to detail, which footwork always seems to, to me to relate to efficiency. You know, if you can move efficiently in whatever you do on the court, we'll talk about, but also off the court, a lot of times it leads to having more success. You're doing less work or maybe the same amount of work as someone else, but you're going further or you're getting more out of it, right? And so that's what footwork started to become to me. It's like, how do I make my game efficient? Like, I need to be able to be sharp with the way that I move my feet.
0: Free game, people. Get the notepad. Free game. We'll give you a second here to go run. Go get your notepad. So good, man. Love it. And then what were those high school years like? What were your teams like? You know, grade nine, you get cut. Obviously, I'm assuming you make the team in grade 10. And how how was the competition? How are your teams? And when do you start to really come into your own and think to yourself, wow, like, I have an opportunity to maybe play division one.
1: That's uh it's interesting too, because again, like I, I always say my story and I'm just being honest to my story. It isn't one that like, it was always just like, and some people that I, I can empathize when people are like, Oh, you know, like uh, I only <laughs> had this opportunity and I'm like, yeah, but also, you know, opportunities are what you make of them. Right. And I went to high school where, my team wasn't wasn't good it wasn't a sports school you know every year i had coaches talking about you know you should transfer here you should you know we we come here we'll have a powerhouse and i just was the guy that you know i was i was at where i was at and i was like let's just you know i always thought about transferring but then at the end of the day it's like the season's starting tomorrow and i'm still there and so i was like well let's make the most of this so at at a young age it kind of you know it taught me a lot in terms of um how to be a leader how to you know even if other people around me, uh, aren't doing what I seem like, what I, what I perceive as a successful act. That doesn't mean that if I want to have success, I follow them. No, I gotta like, I gotta sort of like, uh, blaze my own trail. And so through high school, our team wasn't the greatest. We, um, but, but I, every year just kept on getting better. I just said every year kept on focusing on like, okay, let's, do whatever you you know, it's your responsibility. Even if, if I felt like I had a game where I had, you know, let's say 30, 20, and 20, which I did things like that in high school where I, I was a blocking machine and I rebounded everything. I was just a pogo stick. So I'd have a game, let's say 30, 20, and 20. And at the end of the game, if we lost, like I would go home, like really upset at myself saying like I didn't do enough, you know, or like – so that that was always my mindset. I always had like this underdog mindset of – I'm not good enough for one because we're not winning and no one really knows about me because I'm not at a good school. Um, that's a basketball school. So like I have to like every game I go out here somehow prove to everyone else that I'm good enough. And then to my team, I had to figure out a way to get these guys that weren't so good to have a little bit more success. Um, and you know, going into, you know, for me, where my, where my game sort of took off was when I was 16, since I think grade ten or grade eleven, I uh started playing on a club team called the BJ, BJC in uh in Toronto. And I and like this coach I was telling you about his name, his name was Anthony Chapman. I I credited him a lot. He wasn't one, he's one of the coaches that helped me, but he was a guy that just was he saw a lot of potential in, in me and he didn't coddle me at all. Like he I mean, I probably wasn't maybe one of the more uh, more the kids with the most amount of potential, but he treated me like I was just dirt. Like he <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he really was on me, you know, and like, uh, a lot of the things that he kind of, he forced me to like, see or to do just made me a better, a better player in the end. And so, yeah, going through that sick, that year, great, uh, that, that year when I was 16, it kind of gave me this, okay, maybe I, I can play. Maybe I'm a little bit, uh, I have a future of, of, of playing this game if I really dedicate towards it and, um, going into my senior year of high school. Um I got picked for like the top 5 players in the Toronto Star, which was a surprise to a lot of people because the other guys on the, the you know on those lists were always guys that everyone knew of like my contemporaries around that time were you know uh uh Denim Brown and a guy by the name of Kevin Masai who was pretty good back then and Jermaine Anderson who was a point guard with me on the national team for many years and so I was sort of the name of the kid that no one really knew about um that made that team and that was sort of my first where people were like oh okay he made the top five like he's really but my stats always were ones that were like what is he averaging and he's like i'm averaging a triple double so they couldn't say anything um but still going into that senior year i had i had my high school coach and i i, I just want to say this is was, it was always again in terms of opportunities and in terms of people believing in you but it doesn't matter if you believe in yourself it was my coach told me at the beginning of my senior year, he said, Rance, if you're lucky, maybe you'll be able to play for Ryerson. And, and there's no, I mean, right now, if someone told me that, I'd say, heck yeah, Ryerson's an awesome program. But for me at that time in my life, I mean, Ryerson wasn't in its, in its glory days. And I, I kind of looked at it like without being outwardly, I just said, oh, okay, thanks. But it was like a slap in the face. I was like, Ryerson? I'm like, come on now. I'm like, I'm not going to Ryerson. You know, so I remember that whole beginning it was the beginning of my senior year. So my whole senior year, like, it was always like, you know, if I was like smiling at my coach in my face, I was like, yeah, Ryerson, hey, eh? like, who do you think I am? Like, it was always this. I, I was very good at making these, uh, whether they're fake or not, making up these these things in my mind that would keep me motivated. So it wasn't I didn't need like outward motivation for me. I was I already had this chip on my shoulder they make my grade nine team. I'm not really on a team that's doing well. You know, people don't know who I am. My own coach thinks I can only play at you know at a school, a local school, and I was so. For me, that's what kind of got my my juices flowing, and then, um, yeah, going into my senior year, I had no scholarship offers, and by the end of it, I probably had about twenty. So, mm. nice yeah. man,
0: so good. It's so many takeaways out when you were talking about you know kind of blazing your own path you know I always think of Michael Jordan's come fly with me and I'm the same I was like pro Bar- I was pro Barkley I was pro Ewing like I always cheered against I was Carl Malone John Stockton like you know I yeah. just wanted yeah. someone to take MJ down and then as I grew older to to more respect him and, and kind of you know be on cheering for him but uh, I remember his dad in one clip saying like You know, because Mike was talking a little bit about his high school experience and his team not being great, and his dad said, "If they don't follow you, they don't follow you, but you have to take the lead." And that always stuck with me, right? And because I don't, I don't think you know a lot of us, depending on our journey, we're not always blessed or have a group of you know guys or girls around us that love hoops the way we do, right? And you gotta, and and I think for you, you know, a benefit, and and you can see in your skills that you have as a human, like you're a natural leader, and you were developing that early, right? You know, as some people have a group of guys around them and it's like they don't have to push anyone or they don't maybe don't even push themselves as hard because they don't have to. But you're like, you know, F this. I'm getting after it. And maybe a couple guys will rise up and maybe they won't. But I'm, you know, I'm going to do it because I'm passionate about it. And you're developing those skills at a young age and you can see it in how you are now. So I think that's lots of good stuff there. Um when did you decide to, you know, head to a place like Western Carolina, of all places? You know, you get yourself to be a top player in the Toronto area. You've got some offers. How does one go about making that decision, you know, with, uh, you know, an immigrant family? Yeah. Were you a homebody? Were you ready as a, as a young man to move on? Or were you like, were you a sure. mama's boy? Or what did that look like for you? Um, I mean, honestly, that making that decision, it was, uh, I went to Western Carolina because I had no
1: idea what I was doing you know like i uh <laughs> just keeping it 100 like my parents at that yes. time like to paint the picture um my parents had gone to uh to ghana for uh i think it was a month at that time my, my grandmother had passed away and so they had they had gone and that was right in around the signing period but like at that time i didn't understand signing periods or nothing i just knew that um, right before they were getting ready to leave i had a couple coaches talking to me in western carolina their coach steve Sherino, who was my coach for five years he was the uh, first one who'd reached out and said hey we want to bring you out for this official visit you know and my parents were going to be gone but we they said okay you know you can go and when you come back you know call us and we'll we'll kind of work our way through it and i went on the official visit and when i got there like you know I went to play pickup with the guys and I was hooping for real. Like I I, I remember like balling. like, okay, these guys aren't that much. Like they're good. Like I don't get me a D one player is a D one player, but I just felt like I could hang and I could swim in these waters. Right. And then mm. by the end of like the two days there, the coach was like, you know what? We, you know, we really want us, uh, you know, to offer you a scholarship. And my naiveness, I thought that if someone offered you a scholarship that it was like kind of rude to not sign it. So like, I was like, well, shoot, like, you know, like okay, like where do I sign? And so I I signed my like my letter of intent and kind of sealed the deal on my first recruit trip. And then, you know, when I came home, I called my parents and I said, Hey, yeah, you know, I signed. I thought I hoodwinked them. I'm like, I got a scholarship. Like, you know, I, they they you know, I signed it before they could real. You know, in my head, I didn't. You don't realize that you're the one who kind of being wined and dined and uh yeah so that's how it started and it's funny because after when i looked at my my bag of letters a couple you know like maybe 10 years after i got done playing pro and i'm going through all some old bags there's like Mm -hmm. letters from like louisville and like there was one from arizona state and i'm like what are you doing Rance? like you should have explored your options but again uh everything happens for a reason western carolina was a was a great experience that molded me that you know helped me grow from a boy to a man like you know i uh my parents drove me down from Toronto to Western Carolina, uh, which was like a 23-hour trip. My whole family, we got in our van and we drove down together. And I just remember when they left Love me it. there, you know, my, my mom still, like, laughed. She's like, yeah, that last hour in the car, you were so quiet. You just – because, you know, you all of a sudden, like, oh, snap. Like, they're about to leave me mm-hmm. here? Like, what? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, it was a great experience. I was like, you know, like a, uh, a lot of the experiences in my life, they – They helped, like which they should. They helped shape me, but like for me, I grew. I when I went to Western, my my roommate was another international student from Turkey. His name was Emre. He was one of my groomsmen, one of my best friends, and uh, he could hardly speak English. So I get out there, and it's like a campus that is like a commuter campus. So like on the weekends, everyone goes home, and it's me and this Turkish guy in our room. No car, no you know. So like we really just lived that college life for our first couple years, and it um yeah it was hard at times but you know you I always say for freshmen going into college just like soak it up understand that you're not you're not supposed to know everything understand that like it's going to be way harder than you think it's going to be um understand that the coach is going to be ragging on you because if you were already the player you're supposed to be you wouldn't be going there you wouldn't be going to the NBA you know like their job is to get the Mm -hmm. most out of you right so a lot of those experiences on the court, they translate to life too, right? Like when you're mm-hmm. when you're having to decide, like, hey, like, what means more to me? Like, I have this party that's really excited, or this girl that I'm chasing, but I have this game tomorrow that's really important. I have these, you know. And you and you have these you have classes that you know you think you can put on the back burner, but then you realize when you don't show up for class, and then you show up for practice, and the coach is grilling everyone, then everyone's running thirty suicides. You know, those stuff are real. Like you start to realize that being a student athlete isn't a joke. It's it's a big responsibility that comes with a lot of perks, but those responsibilities usually help people who are student athletes. Where when they're done that process of their life going into any other job they have a, a bit of a leg up you know an employer will be like oh you played college sports because they know the things that you have to go through to be uh, a college athlete and, and and you know and to make it And so I did that for five years I, I broke my job my senior year uh, of, uh, of uh, playing against Georgia I, I someone yeah, I was wondering about
0: that yeah Just one game right you play one Never, game I think yeah. and then it
1: my, my first and my second game in yeah the guy just <laughs> i went to go set a screen and he tried to run through it and he cracked me in the jaw and i knew right away i was like "Ooh, that didn't feel good right and i always tell mm. this because i want to act like i'm tough but uh they <laughs> you know at halftime they went and they looked and we're in georgia and you know they had a real nice medical staff and the guy goes oh we'll fit you for a mouthpiece and so they gave me a mouthpiece and i went and i played the rest of the game and then the next day you know I go to the hospital and, of course, find out that it's wired, it's broken. So I got wired shut like Kanye for, <laughs> so I guess, six weeks of, of that year. And it was, I mean, it was, it's a funny experience looking back because in college, even though you got a wired shut jaw, you think you're you think you're think still hanging out. You know, you're sipping beers through a straw and <laughs> you're, yeah. you're still having a good time. You you know, making out with girls that no, can't open your mouth. I don't know how I did it, but like, no. It was uh, a... <laughs> Uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun experience, but that's what happened. So I broke my job, my senior, the first game of my senior year, which gave me an extra year, which was a blessing in his disguise again because it allowed me uh, to graduate on time. I was already ready, and I started a year of my master's, so it gave me a little bit of freedom. to My master's that I studied was in entrepreneurship, so it kind of just was, it gave me a lot of uh, stuff that was going to help me post-basketball,
0: which was cool phenomenal reflection, man. And, um, you know, you talk about making that decision and like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing, but like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you met your future wife down there, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did. So that's why I I, I, I was quickly right? backtracked because that's why Western Carolina was the place, right? Uh, for me, <laughs> um, I got so quick, I'll try to make this a quick story. I got recruited obviously there. And then once I was there my freshman year, I was sort of like, not to be like, it just, it is what it was. I was like a model, like a model, uh, college athlete. Like I was the guy who would be, you know, early for practice. I'd stay late. You know, if a coach asked you to do something, I'm always looking you in the eye. If he says, do this or that, I'm not the guy that's going to F up you. Like, you know, there's always a guy that like, can't get right on your team. I was never that guy. I was the guy that always just did what (laughs) I was supposed to do. Right. So like when I got in my freshman year and then they're bringing in like Recruits. There's always one or two guys that the coach will always be like, "Hey, you know, we got another recruit. Like you're the guy that like ha- houses or hosts all the recruits. So for me, I was like the recruit guy. Or they always wanted if they had a recruit come in, I had to like so I could, you know, show them a good time. And they knew I wouldn't do something stupid. But for it, for me, it was a great opportunity because I got paid. You know, like they give you money to give the recruits. And if the recruit ain't really that guy, you know, maybe yeah. Oh, yeah, I got twenty bucks instead of forty bucks fee. You know, you pocket the other twenty or whatever. So, um, that's how I like my college, my first two years of college, I had a ton of recruits come in and then, um, I was leaving the a meeting with my coach in the, in the, in the, coach's office and the volleyball coach, when I walked out, called me in and said, Hey, ranch, can we chat for a second? We got a, we got a, a recruit coming in from, from, from Canada to the, this Friday, you know, or tonight. And I was like, Oh, okay. And she, she was like, yeah, you know, she's uh, from Vancouver. and." I know the, you know, the, you, you basketball guys and the volleyball girls are quite close. So if you guys do anything, please make sure you let the upperclassmen know so that, you know, they have a good time. And I was like, coach, no problem. Like, I was like, you just gave me a layup, you know, of course, like, we're going to make this work. (laughs) Right away. I left and I called my boys. I'm like, guys, we're having a dorm party. There's this girl coming. I mean, I liked volleyball girls already. I like tall girls. So, um, when my wife or t- my to be wife came, uh, uh, Felicity Rebalkin at the time, she came in and it was like, uh, yeah, from there, that was sort of the inception of it. And she, I, I, like I said, I was good at recruiting. I recruited her. I did, uh, you know, she had a boyfriend at the time. I was very respectful. Her boyfriend was in the basketball community. His name's Evan Southern. I love the guy. We're good friends now, actually. Uh, he played on Basketball BC for, I think, a year or two. He went to Handsworth back in the day. But, anyways, so Evan Southern was her boyfriend. I didn't do nothing. I just was like, I made sure we hung out and I was like, hey, can I get your AOL or whatever? And then over the summer, we just, uh, you know, I, my AOL game was good and I yeah, <laughs> just made like the friend, friendship thing. So we were good friends and I did enough to get her to come to the school. And then the rest is history.
0: Just when we thought we've heard it all, my AOL <laughs> game was good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying over here. I love it, man. Yeah. No idea what AOL. Yeah, they're like searching it up right now. AOL, yeah. hey, well, future entrepreneur, fan. man. You had it in you. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, and then, like before, we talk about y- your process about moving on and playing professionally. You know, let's take a chance. I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on you know playing with a walking bucket in uh, Kevin Martin. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had a chance to play with. I mean, that guy was a problem in the NBA for a good stretch. And and what was it like to be able to to see him work and work with someone like that? And what did it do for you? You know, as as a player.
1: For sure, um, Kevin was a unique talent. You know, it's uh, again saying how I was uh, the rec- recruiter for the majority of the guys. The interesting thing with Kevin was when he came in on his recruit trip you know as the play, the team you usually have like a you know, over under like you want that guy nah he's no good we don't need him like let's not and kevin when he came in he was super shy he was um like he doesn't like demonstratively. he didn't look like much he was kind of like he, i was a skinny kid he was a skinny kid and very like not he didn't seem that confident initially um, and so we were all like, ah, I don't know about that guy. Then he signed and then he came in his freshman year. He was very like recluse. He lived in Ohio. He's from Ohio and we were in North Carolina, which isn't a close drive, maybe like 10 hours. And he would drive home like the first month and a half every weekend. And we're like, Whoa. so no one even really knew him. Right. But on the court, it was something different. Like he had a weird looking shot, but his confidence with the shot was something else. And you started to realize that confidence came from the fact that you know, you'd get in the gym for practice and he'd already been there for an hour shooting, you know, or you'd start to hear Mm -hmm. before he's like, oh, at 12 o'clock, Kevin is like, you know, like, where's Kev? Like, we're all trying to go out to, like, a dorm party and he's he's shooting, you know, he's just shooting. And um, that confidence quickly translated from practice where we're like, okay, he's throwing up fluke shots, like, wait until he plays against real guys. So, like, his first game, I think he dropped 30-something. So, really, like... It was really interesting to see that when someone hones in on what they do well, you don't have to do everything great, but like, if you do something well, like be great at it. And he knew what he do he did well. I always say like, he had really good depth perception and he had confidence in himself to know that he can take the shot and make it. And in that, he, you, know, he made a ton of shots, and he, his shot was something that was somewhat unguardable at the college level, even at the NBA level um mm-hmm. so it was really cool like for me in my college experience he's one of my best friends but when we were in college we were somewhat we were for two we, were, we went to school together for three years and I'd say for two of those years me and him were like uh co-captains of the team you know and a lot of the times I was a guy with like not that I wasn't talented but less talent more hard work he was a guy with like more talent seemed like he was sort of chilling, but it was like it didn't matter. It was it was what he was doing off the court, you know. Like there, Kevin was a guy that he was training with IMG Academy and David Thorpe before it was David Thorpe and IMG Academy. Like he was doing it, you know, during his summers, never taking. We get, I'd get done my summer, I'd go play at the national team, and for me, I I mean that's why I think I had such successes. I I never had a break in my basketball career for almost ten years where it was. I was a year-round player. I was always working on my game. So over over time, that becomes, you know, that just becomes more hours that you put into your craft that makes you better. He was the same way. He he had a really good shot. He never stopped playing. He played through the summers. He trained went from school straight to training and right back into school. Um, And it was uh, it was it was really it was a beautiful thing to watch a guy who was unheralded who came in. You you know we almost didn't want him on the team. We didn't think he could play. Uh, really, don't judge a book by its cover, right? It doesn't matter if you're you're loud mouth or you're talking with all the emotion, all the confidence in the world. It's like the game is the game, and you, you have to be able to play it when when you know when the score clock starts and when you know it matters. And he was a guy that when the game was on, he did never he like it, in in practice it, like before a game started where he dropped like he dropped I think forty six against uh, who was it Arkansas. And, or Florida State, he played Florida State at Florida State, and he drops something like crazy, like that, thirty-eight or forty. And before the game starts, like right in the, the little huddle before we're about to start, he's throwing up in a cup, you know. And I'm like, what? what's this guy doing? Like he's throwing up, <laughs> like he's looking like sick. And then he goes out, and then he's, you know, he what he gets on the court, he's a killer. He's whapping everything, right? So it made me realize it doesn't matter. It's not all for the raw rods. It's a matter of like. What do you have confidence in? What are you willing to do when the game starts? And a lot of people could do the opposite. They talk way more. And then when they get in the game, the game doesn't match that, you know? And he was a guy that Mm -hmm. he didn't say nothing. He was real silent. But when he got in the game, you knew, oh, like this guy's been, this guy's been working on some stuff. Like he can really, and he just had confidence, like an unwavering confidence in the game, even though outside of the game, you didn't think he was that confident. Interesting. Yeah.
0: That's that's an interesting perspective that people wouldn't, you know, and that's why I appreciate you answering that. I mean, like six seasons, he averaged 20 plus in the NBA, right? Like 17 yeah. per, points per, per game for his career, like 38% from three. Like that guy was a problem, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Very high Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner, Shane Meyer, has worked hard to create a personal experience, Offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the Seabus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in store, if you mention a Hoops Journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Dawn Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A hoops journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. And then, so then, you know, it's, you know, you think about your time, like it's kind of three years, then you break your jaw and then you get one more year. And, um, when, when are you starting to think, okay, like I, I want to move forward and, look to make some money out of this game as well yeah well
1: i want to mention that because like for some guys they lose their passion along the way and i think that's normal it's not like you're always going to be burning if i some Mm. people will i'm just that's not my story i'd be lying like i still i always loved the game but i know at the end of my college career we didn't have much success in terms of winning either and i I, my passion i kind of lost it a little bit i was doing it Mm. but like i was just like it was almost seemed like a chore almost and I was excited to get out of that. I just needed a new breath of air, changes in uh, scenery, or something that would like bring the game, the love of the game, back for me. And, and that's what playing pro in Europe really was like. Uh, I the whole experience for me, Europe was a blessing because it, it gave me an opportunity to do something through the game where it wasn't just you know, it was on the court, the stuff on the court mattered the most when you're in Europe. If you don't perform, guess what? We'll get rid of you tomorrow. Like if you come out and you, you know, you should, you don't have to do, don't worry about doing no talking. Don't worry about saying you're this person. You're not. It's like your game will talk. And if it doesn't talk, we'll find someone else that will, you know, we're paying you to do something. If you can't do it, we'll bring someone else in. But at the same time, like, there's so much that you you know I learned in that those experiences of just being like wow I'm living in another country like I'm taking in a new culture like I'm traveling every other weekend to somewhere different like so that whole like growing up was 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 such a blessing for me um, in my year year my career in Europe and I and I played uh, just uh, you play know yeah So sorry. sorry about that. You still there? Is that the agent? <laughs> yeah. Is that your agent? No, that's, uh, <laughs> that's Coach Skeet. That's my, uh, one of the coaches that worked the bubble 24 with me. He's, where we we FaceTime daily just talking about basketball. That's what happens when you a basketball junkie. But um, nice. going, going back to, to what I was saying, um, yeah, so I, that, that whole experience was just amazing for me to be able to, to take all that in. And then uh, to grow in Europe and, and kind of find my way in terms of I just like I like I learned poetry became a thing for me when I was in Europe. Before then, I never I never really done poetry. Um, you know, like my music really in terms of I'm a big music, head. a lot of things in terms of that took off. I got into artists I'd never heard of before, Nina Simone and some other people while I was in my time in Europe. It was just a real good time for me to just figure out who am I like, you know, I put in all this time doing something as a college athlete um, where, you know, it was a lot of fun, but you always felt like you never really able to let the, you know, they wouldn't let you let the reins go. And now all of a sudden you're free. You're out here and you're, you're living your life. And um, I don't know. I, I, I also with my European career, I, I start to to kind of love pressure. You know, you start to realize, Oh, like, dang, like if you really practice with a purpose, if you, have more of these successful acts i call them you know Whereas in practice like you know they might tell you how to do something like to the t if you do it this way you'll get you know you'll you'll have you know you'll hopefully end up with a bucket and then you go in the game and you just do it by instinct the exact same way they asked you to do it and you dunk all over somebody you know that all of a sudden <laughs> in your head you start thinking like whoa like i was always a guy like this if it works i'm not trying to like as soon as i realize that oh that that actually works I'm not going to try to, like, see like, well, let me do it this way to make it work next time. No, it works. Like, let me do the successful act that works. So Europe became that for me. And then the whole thing of pressure became, you know, you're nervous before the games, but it became a lot of fun to just play free and to play with passion and to have these crowds that would be, you know, and fans that would be backing you. And um, I'd say, like, humbly with my European career, um, I was a guy that... uh, I always, like, there was, even if I didn't, I made a ton of mistakes, I played my ass off every time I was on the court. I just, the way I was and the way I was wired. And, um, the fans in Europe really gravitated towards that. So in most of the cities that I, I, I played in, I was somewhat of like, uh, like a fan favorite, you know, I was a guy, you know, I looked a little different, you know, big, tall guy with dreads. who was kind of overly pleasant and like, doesn't seem like he's like, you know, I wasn't like a hardened, like hmm, what you looking at type guy. And then you know, I was very open with in terms of culture, maybe from my gr- upbringing in Winnipeg. In terms of you know going out and interacting with the local uh, teammates, and then on the court, I just busted my butt. So um, it was it was it was fun to live that life for a bit. And and um, yeah, look at I, I I always reminisce on those times really fondly because I they were they were beautiful moments in my life and something that you know I'm, I'm blessed that the game gave me those opportunities to, to experience
0: like when I first met you, man, I felt the same energy too. Like, so I think that goes for a lot of people. You're being sort of humble about it, but I, you know, I, you you do have a certain energy about you. And what I'm hearing a ton out of you is you're like the epitome of growth mindset. You don't just let a day go by and lose an opportunity. It's like, what can I do to learn something new or get better at something? Right. And I think that's a lot of people are afraid to to do that and be vulnerable and, and fail and, and to work at it. And the, all the things you're talking about, just taking advantage of every opportunity that's coming to you and, um, great stuff, man. Uh, like be remiss to just talk a little bit about what it was like for you. You know, as you, you mentioned, you know, a big tall guy, a black man with dreads knowing in a place like Europe and, and maybe other places in Canada or places you've been, like, how did you fight through, um, knowing that people would look at you different. Um, you know, did you, was it ever a conscious thing or did you just go about your business and be like, whoever's going to respect me is going to respect me and, and I'll respect them back.
1: Um, that's a good question. I I think it was a subconscious thing for me, but consciously, like, I just was always aware of the fact that like ranch is be you like I can't be, I didn't like, you know, Uh, The best way to say it is on like even in my national team career, uh, when playing on the national team, I was always the guy that, you you know, part of everything that I brought on the court in terms of, you know, I was was a great athlete. You know, I had high energy. I played really hard. You know, I would never give up on a play. I was a great teammate. But uh, like part of what a great teammate was for me personally was that I was a guy that could somewhat. I've said this before in an interview that I was somewhat able to grab it, grab, like pull together, um, let's say like the the black side, like the black guys, athletes on the team and the white athletes on the team. And, and there isn't a huge divide. If you're an athlete and you're on a team, you're teammates. But you would find that mm-hmm. like sometimes those teammates, when the when the game or the practice is done, like the black guys are just talking about like you know, just whatever hip hop and urban things. And the, you know, the preppy white guys are just, you know, sometimes talking about whatever and we don't really mingle all that much. I was the guy that again, only not because just, just who I was and my upbringing and I was blessed of the way I grew up from Winnipeg to growing up in Thornhill, which is a mainly Jewish community to going, you know, living and playing in, in Toronto, where a lot of my close friends were of the, uh, you know, Jamaican uh, background or, you know the West Indies background so then to go to playing in Europe and having those experiences a lot of times I was the guy that yeah even though people looked at me because I was different it was like I I started saying around them times that one of my favorite things to do was to try to break people or not try to to just naturally break people's stereotypes to have someone like see me initially and and I could see the you know the wheels in their head as they're talking to me oh yeah hey you know and then you know, I'm like, okay, by the end of this conversation, you're gonna be looking at me different. And true, truthfully, by the end of most of those conversations, they'd be like, oh wow, like Rance, I didn't, you know? And I never took it mm. as a slight, even though it's like, that's just the world we live in. Like people, we, we stereotype people and we judge books by their cover when we see them, right? And so I was a guy mm. that on most of my teams, like again, I'd say out of, from college to, or high school to my playing in Europe, of the teams I was on, I was the captain, right? And it was partly because my leadership was just that, like, I was the guy that was, you know, I wasn't trying to act like I was all hard and I wasn't trying to act like I was all soft. (laughs) I was just me. And I'm like, you can be yourself too. We're all teammates. Like, we can still hang out. Like, if I'm not into, like to whatever you're into and you're not fully into what i'm into we can find a middle ground i know there's somewhere there i listen to some classic rock you know like boom like i I know we're into like whatever like you know steely dan that sample's used on kanye boom like there was a way to like always pull things (laughs) together and so um i was I, i always took pride in being able to do that and i think in europe that's what served me really well was that you know, I could have a conversation with, you know, upper management where, you know, and speak for for some of the players on the team that maybe, not that they couldn't speak, but they just felt like no one was really listening to them in certain situations. Or I could be like good friends with the guy, like I said, who was maybe not fully into like the culture of the team, but pull him in because, you know, instead of it always being hip hop in the bus, like, what are you listening to over there? Oh, you some Sade, like throw that on, like, let's listen, you know, mm-hmm. like, I was never a guy that just got boxed into one little, this is who you are and you got to stay there. So that was always a good thing for me on teams. And and um, I think a part of the European experience for me that really helped me grow was that's how I was, you know, like teammates started respecting mm-hmm. me for that. Like coaches respecting me for that. You know, when we were in Europe and it was like electro music, I never knew I'm big into music. Like, as you can tell, I'm talking about it a lot, but I never really was into electro. I didn't know nothing about it. And I remember my first years in Holland, uh, our team was sponsored by the owners of this big club. And so it was like sort of mandatory for us to go to the club after the win. We won a lot. So it was fun. And we go in there and, you know, they're playing like this and all the guys are like all the American guys. Cause Holland was an open league. You could have like seven like foreigners. So it was like, felt like college, but like, all these american guys and then me i'm the one canadian they're all like pinned up against the wall like grilling people and i'm like what are we doing i'm like we're in europe like why are we standing against the wall like this ain't fun right and then you know (laughs) i'm the guy you know after you know whatever getting a little loose next you know i'm in there and i'm dancing and they're looking at me silly why a month into the into the season everyone's on the dance floor dancing right like someone has to be able to break the ice someone has to be able to say like hey I know I don't this isn't maybe the same way I grew up, but like we're here to experience life. We're here to do things a little differently, right? Like you shouldn't be afraid of the change of oh wow, like I might feel a little strange or this might not be my, my number one jam. But like just grow a bit. So that's sort of where I always was.
0: Authentic, man. Be authentic. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, thank you for sharing that. And then, so, you know, you're hooping, you're in Europe, you're having a great time. And when when do things start to sort of unfold for you in terms of transitioning back to, you know, back to Canada and figuring out what the next phase is for you? And then, you know, we'll touch on the couple special years you had with St. John's and the, yeah. and the Bandits as well. But, um, you know, one thing we ask people that put a lot of time into hoops, was it the body or was it the brain that was sort of pulling you?
1: Mm. Um, initially it was the, the body. Like I, I I blew up my knee. I had some serious injuries. I I tore my ACL, Mm -hmm. MCR meniscus. I fully ruptured it and I did Mm -hmm. it in the last game of the season. So, I mean, if there's a worst case scenario, that's it, right? Like when you're playing pro, you're always somewhat playing the season in anticipation for your next contract. Like you, let's win as many as we can. This is your job. Like let's, let's be all invested in this year and let's win that, you know if we win and i play well then like that means next year's contract i'll keep leveling up and i was in a good place in my career i'd been leveling up every year for the past five years and then yeah last game of the season i knew i was hurt but i just forgot for a second i you know my competitive juices got going and i just i went all out and, and I, yeah it happened um and so that was like uh the first sort of yeah uh, i guess whatever knock or chip uh, uh, off of the block where I was like ah like okay you know people started saying I remember right after like man Rance like I'm really sorry like you had a great career like and I was like great career and why are you talking like that you know I'm like it's just a knee injury like I'll be back you know and so I took the whole next year to rehab and that was a mental strain for sure like trying to you know it was the heart of my career like I was like again in terms of Playing pro was the best I'd played in terms of playing on the national team. I had finally, after years of, you know, my national team experience isn't one of like, you know, just like, again, like glitz and glamour. It's uh, going to the walk-on tryout and no one knowing who I was and going, making the Mm -hmm. team and making the team and having a great experience and playing in in China against Yao Ming and all these other great players. And then the next summer, going to my college, my freshman year college Making my all freshman uh, team thinking, okay, I've arrived. And then the next summer, showing up, wait, uh, waiting at home, and no email comes, no invite again, and going back to the walk on tryout again, you know, and making the team two times. So that's when people say, oh, politics. I have politics. Bullshit. Yeah, there's politics and everything. If you want it, go get it. So that was like my. I'm trying to give you the full picture of that whole national team experience. And then, so not really being invited on the team, making them make a spot for me and kicking someone else off the team. And then finally making it from junior nationals, working my way up to the senior team and having this, you know, great experience. That's the summer prior to getting injured. And then boom, you know, everything comes to a halt. Like it happens the last game of the season. So like no national team that summer, you know, and they went on to qualify for the worlds and, got a medal and it was like damn like i'm supposed to be there and then uh, you know the season starts the next off to august and i'm just barely out of surgery so it's like i'm not playing this season and it's like there's no chance of coming so i spent the whole year doing that and mentally it was it was a lot on me but i learned a ton it was it was a great experience for me because it taught me and that's what i, I feel like i'm one of i'm a guy that has been able to adapt really well from playing the game to not playing the game and then having this like we said back and forth a bit with, with success because I never in the heart of my career I had it, had it all taken away and it made me really think about like damn like Rance like you're not you're not like wilding out with your money or anything but like this stuff like you're making money as if like you were you're sort of uh, you know you're making crazy money not unrealistic money somewhat mm-hmm and you don't have any bills or nothing but now all of a sudden when you get hurt and you're at home for the whole year you're starting to realize that whatever you have in your bank account that things dwindling quickly and like what do you have to show for yourself right so i started to get into investments right around then and i I made some some smart investments in terms of um, uh, properties and real estate and then also just in terms of me getting back I you know I started to work my body through so I ended up playing one more year after that and after playing that year I played in pain a lot and I just after I said you know what my body's I remember saying that whole year I'm like I want to be able to bend down and I had no kids at the time I'm like I want to be able to bend down and play with my kids like I love the game but Mm -hmm. I don't want the game to use me I want to use the game like I love it but like I don't want to be one of these things where you know, like rants, like you're ready. Like, I, I just remember t- like convincing myself I shouldn't be playing. I'm like, you're a skinny guy already. Look at your legs. I'm like, you're not gonna, going to be that old guy that looks all skinny and like hunched over with a cane and can't even bend over and pick up his kids. Like, you don't want to be that guy. So like after I played the year after I got hurt I just said I'm done and I remember close friends of mine in the circle Levon the and the Somonet asked like you're done bro you sure I'm like yeah I'm done man I think I'm I think I you know I've had a good run and they're like no you're not done and I was like I think I am. And so yeah I I 2012 I somewhat retired and I uh went on and I always said I had I've had a job for 3 years of my life where I had a real job where um I worked as an IT recruiter and, um, it was, uh, it was, you know, I learned a lot in that experience, but it was the only time in my life where I kind of, in my adult life, I didn't play ball or that wasn't my main focus or my job or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, would say mentally, I was a little tired and be from just the whole journey of coming back, but also physically, I just, my legs hurt and I wasn't sure if like I would ever be able to play without being in pain. And so I started working as an IT recruiter in 2012. And then the winter of 2012, uh, I broke my back. I was in a car accident. Um, just a, that's life, you know, it was a random uh, thing. Someone was speeding coming back. I was living in Squamish at the time. Someone was speeding coming back from Whistler and they crossed the median and they, uh, yeah, they hit me. So um, I was, uh, I fractured my T4, T5 in my back. and that was like, okay, I wasn't like, I was already in my head sort of saying I retired. And that was like, okay, you're done. Like you, you got to try to figure out how to learn how to walk and do all this stuff without being in pain again. So it was from 2012 to 2014, 15, I really struggled like to just get back to being normal, like to be able to be fun, do functional things without, can I sit in a car for 30 minutes without literally like being in excruciating pain? Can I walk in a mall for 20 minutes without having to sit down and, and, you know, like feeling like my legs are going numb. So those things all took, you know, and in doing that again, I just reach for me, it was a blessing. It was all things that I learned through the game that now, no, there wasn't no coach behind me saying, Hey, you got to do this. And the practice is two hours. There was no one, you know, there was no instant gratification for the work I was doing. I just said, you know, you got to do the work and I know how to do the work because I learned half the things I have to do in terms of stability through the game. So, i uh, really just started to build my body i built my core and uh as strong as possible so my glutes my hamstrings my uh you know my abs uh my hip flexors all the things that like i tell my players that i'm working with now a lot of young players like when you they tell me oh i got knee issues or, i got this pain i'm like you gotta build up your body you don't have to be the strongest guy like but you gotta be able to be strong in your body or else you can't play this game right and um, that's what I did. And I did that for up up until 2015, which led me to kind of the game again, because by 2015, three years of rehabbing, I was like, okay, my, my body's, you know, I'm actually in really good shape. I'm like, my core feels really strong. My leg, my knee doesn't hurt anymore because I got my core stronger. My back didn't hurt anymore because I rehabbed it to the best of my ability. And I was like, I think I should like, you know, I should start playing and there was uh, the Kings League was the first league I started playing with in Vancouver. And I was in Squamish still at the time. And I guess the people in the Vancouver community had been like, oh, yeah, there's a guy who used to play on the national team. Because I said I, I wasn't from here, you know, on the national team. And he lives in Squamish. And, like, so <laughs> I used to have people call me, like, hey, you want to come play on our men's league team? And I'm like, uh. And then, yeah, some guys got me out. And I started playing uh, with this team called the Honey Badgers, the classic Honey Badgers. We were pretty good. Actually, no, we weren't, but we, uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, it was fun to get back out there and to play and compete against some of these guys. And I was like, Whoa, I can still play. And then that led to me playing with the team called SB battle, which was, uh, you know, a team that this, uh, gentleman, uh, Jelani, uh, was putting together and he was trying to give like just a little bit, something to the uh, you know the African American or like the Black youth in in Vancouver something to be proud of like some of these guys never got opportunities to play and I kind of gravitated right away I was like that's cool I want to I want to be a part of something that like has a good meaning and a good backing and a reason for it so we I started playing with them and that led me to playing in 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 uh, Seattle where we were trying to just find the best competition. And so I started going down to Seattle just for the love of the game. Every weekend, I'd, I'd drive down there with the guys. And at this point, I had two kids, I think. I forgot about that. Yeah. Forgot I had two that. kids at that yeah, point. But... So I was just grinding. I was just doing yeah. it because I loved it. Like, <laughs> I missed it a bit, and the passion was still there. And my body could still keep up. So I was like, well, you know, I can still dunk. I can still do. And then, to be <laughs> honest, that was the best basketball I've ever had in my life. My footwork was amazing then. So, yeah, yeah, I went to I went to Seattle um, and I was was surprising myself every like I was never an offensive player before. I was always like a glue guy, defensive player, guy who do all the dirty work. I could score a bit. But like that, when I came back from 2015 to 2016 or 17, uh, my footwork had just gotten so good from, you know, breaking my blowing out my knee and breaking my back and really having to take a step back but in a mature mind now in terms of the things that i learned when i was really young to help me play and not reapplying it but being more mature and realizing and then also i would started coaching the game around 2015 so i was like oh well if i go to this spot and if i can get to this spot and make this move that's a bucket i can make that shot right and so i started crafting yeah. the game for myself and putting myself in positions where i thought i could be successful and yeah in, in Seattle I started having a lot of success and I you know I had some big games like one of the ones that got me somewhat people started saying oh no Rance is still there playing is I, you know I, I played against um, Jamal Crawford a bunch there we beat him a couple times but then I, the big game was I played against Michael Porter Jr. who uh, plays for the Nuggets now but he was at that point like the number one ranked uh, high school senior and, he went off on me. I always say, cause everyone's like, Oh, I saw the highlights. The guy gave me like 45. And I'm like, yeah, he did. Like he gave me 45 and 20, like 23 rebounds, you know, like, but I'm like, I'm 36. I'm like, I gave him though, 44 and 20. Like I think it was like 44 and 20 and we won. So I was like, I beat him. Like mm-hmm. that, that that's a win in my books. Right. So that was mm-hmm. where I kind of got people started talking and that, led to a bit of the St. John's John's thing coming up from there.
0: Cool, man. It's like, this story's crazy. Thank you for sharing the national team stuff. That was, you know, I wanted to get into that as well. And I I I actually didn't realize that you kind of just showed up and worked your way on there, man. I just made the assumption like people do that, you know, you were kind of on the radar. But once again, you know, go from off the radar to to division one and then you know working your way into the national team it's you know it's great stuff um and just being able to fight through the adversity and it's funny how as athletes we we overlook how much the mind matters right we rely on our athleticism so much but we don't apply the mind and body together and then as we get older and you know you're getting up there you know 36 ish and you're doing you know probably yoga you're you're you know, do stuff for your brain, you're taking care of things that maybe you never even thought of before, but finding a way to keep yourself healthy and active. And it still shows to this day, you still got those bunnies, man.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll see how long those Good. last. Good. And so, like, sure.
0: what's that? I said, we'll see how long
1: those last. I keep, uh, every time I dunk now. I feel like that old coach. I'm like, I still, still got it, but it's going quick. Like, it hurts on the, on the <laughs> way down
0: yeah just don't be like remember like they used to do the old school uh all-star game like the legends game and then they just had to cancel it because someone would just tear their achilles yeah. or like, break a leg knock on wood. an all-star weekend it was like yeah we got to scrap this yeah
1: knock on wood on the achilles <laughs> let's let's stay away from that one
0: sounds good yeah i know right known a few people man and yeah. that's uh that's a tough too. one so before we get into, you know, some more serious questions with you, what, what do the next five years look like for you and your, your basketball journey? Cause I know your hoops journey isn't finished. You're heavily involved in coaching, you know, you're working with some elite guys and, and, and women sure. um, that are, you know, looking to move on. And, and I think what you offer them is great, um, you know, especially in this time where, you know club basketball is really taking over but i you know the unique thing that i've seen from you is um how do i phrase this in a politically correct way uh you're not just taking people's money you they are getting full value from from your experience and like i said yeah. not just from a skill set from a mind and body set as well so what does the you know the next few years look like for you from an ideal sense if you know, COVID starts to get better and you get freed up to kind of do what, what you like, what are your passions going to be for yourself?
1: Yeah, that's uh, you know, it's a, it's a great question. Um, to be 100% honest, I'm a guy that like recently, I, my big things that I, like, I try to monitor to try to live by are like, uh, you know, move with purpose, like whatever you're doing, like do it with a, with an intent, not just doing cause so often we just do things and then we don't you know, we don't get the results, but we never really made a map, planned out a, a map of how we we're going to get it. However, with that being said, with COVID, I've re- also realized that like, we're looking like this year, like, I'm like, I had this conversation with someone the other day, I said, hold on a second. I'm like, like, this is no, not to be this a very serious moment, but like, Kobe died this year. You know what I mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, that happened this year. Like, how did all that stuff happen in 2020? Like, that's like, this year has been like a trip that I think it's been to everyone if you're being like uh just like honest with yourself that like all those plans that we have for like oh six years down the line just give that add value in whatever you're doing every single day and so that sort of became what what I was trying to do so to answer your question like for the next five years like that's a long time for me now even to like look that far ahead whereas. Prior to this, I probably was like, five years, I want to be doing this, that, and the other, and, and it's all within the basketball community, but I right now, the biggest thing I've just found is, like, try to find a way to add value to to the basketball community and whatever I'm doing every single day, and so, like, the initiative that I started or that kind of got going was the Bubble 24, and that that's the biggest uh, sort of platform that I'm using right now to try to add value, uh, to the, the kids that are, that are right now going through the same things that we're going through with like COVID and, and, you know, how do you still chase your dreams in a, in an environment and an atmosphere where it's not so easy as it was before to just be able to go and, and, you know, get exposure across the, you know, whether it be here or in the States or be able to go play, you know, really, if you're a basketball player, the way you get better is you play, how do you, but you can't play as much as you wanted to now, right? So, like, how do you do, how do you still get better? So, uh, my mindset was just, like, let's just make, like, you know, I've always been, like, I, I run a bunch of basketball programs uh, over the last five years that I've, you know, either started or co-founded, or, but, like, a lot of those programs were just, and I, I, I like that, that's the way I want to start. It was very grassroots, and it was, like, you know what, it's open to everybody, like, let's get everyone, whoever wants has the desire to get better, like, let's all get in the gym. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you find that sometimes the best players, it's hard for them to, you know, Mm -hmm. continue to achieve or continue to realize that they need work to do, there's work to be done when they're the best amongst people that really aren't as, you know, aren't at the same level as them. So my mindset was like, how do I get that, like, those couple of kids that are pretty good, that think they're better than they are playing wherever to all compete in a situation where it's like, okay, you know, you, if you look to the guy left to your right, I hope he can beat you or kick your ass one day and you can kick his ass the other day. And it makes everybody humble to realize that we still got a lot of work to do. No one's that good. Right. And so that's sort of where bubble 24 started. It was like, let me get guys that are competitive, the guys that really have a desire to potentially play, you know, post-secondary basketball. Um, all in the same gym together where, you know, if you, like, and and again, certain things that I saw were, like, guys that were good that, you know, like, the best thing you can do to get better is to play, but when you're playing at Kicks Beach in the middle of a, of a national, you know, global pandemic, like, it just made me not feel sit right in my, you know, in in my, my being. I was like, that can't be the right thing to do, right? And then some of those players are reaching out mm-hmm. to me also, like, hey, can we get in the gym? And at the same time as me being you know someone that loves the game of basketball and wants to dedicate my life towards it it's like I'm also a father and and a, and a husband and I have my family at home and I was like I don't really feel safe working with a lot of these kids if they're going to be playing at kids beach amongst like I don't want to say scrubs but just guys that are just there playing and you don't know what they're doing on the weekend I want guys that are hey what I do is I'm a basketball player like I play you know, I'm willing to dedicate to four days a week or five days a week, just playing the game and working on my craft and um, being doing it in a in an environment that uh, is conducive to growth. So um, that's sort of the big thing that I I started Bubble Twenty Four. And with that, again, it's uh, the coach that's been helping me the most right now <laughs> is uh, Coach uh, Jared Skeet, and he's a guy that again through the basketball community and just. Uh, Networking and how things always seem to come back around full circle. I met him when I was playing pro in 2008 with uh, St. John's Edge, and he was the point guard. He was just—he was the backup point guard. He was the guy that when I came, I I joined the team in January, so I came halfway through the year, and I—I show up and you know I go straight to practice. And I've been in these environments before in Europe, but it's like ah, here we go again. Like these guys are all gonna look at me like I'm like trying to steal their spot. I'm like I don't even want no one's spot. I just wanted them. I want us to win. You know, like that was my whole mindset like mm-hmm. this is just a bonus for me i just want to help out and win so when i got there we were going through, like you know the first two practices the coaches try to get me updated on all the offenses and stuff and uh skeet was just the guy that uh, um you know when we're going doing the sets and doing the offense like he'd just be like yo so this is where you got to go like when you run that next time go you know i'm gonna set the screen then you just roll and then once you roll you dribble hand off and boom 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 and i was like bet i got it right so he was like, right away, I just mm-hmm. gravitated. Cause I'm like, okay, one guy is going to show me what to do. Like, that's me. Like if, if I know what's, you know, if someone shows me something, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not realize that's a blessing to help me get better, get up to speed quicker. So Skeet was my guy in that sort of mindset. And then we just grew a relationship out of that. And so he came down here, uh, he's been playing pro and he, you know, he played college basketball as well, well at uh, university of Buffalo under, um, under, uh, Bobby Hurley, who's a great uh, point guard coach. So I mm-hmm. thought it was a no brainer if, you know, I, I I teach a lot of kids of different, you know, guards, centers, big whatever. But I was like for, to be authentic to the game it would be better off if there was someone who was a guard who understood that part of the game better to help out those guards. And so um, it kind of just became a really good synergy between the two of us um and then organically while he was here and we were working doing stuff running the adidas top 40 camp this summer then we had to really try to tighten up our formations because of covid to try to make it that we could still get something out of the day but not play games and then out of that we were like you know what if this stays the way it is like also and even if it doesn't like this is a good way for kids to still Get better, like to to train in an environment, and we always say iron sharpens iron. It's a cliche, but all it means is you know if you're really good, it's it's a lot harder to get to the level you want to if you're really good and you're just practicing against no one else who's pushing you, right? So if you have two, three, four, five guys that are really good in the gym together, obviously that opportunity for the cream to rise to the to the top becomes better, and then even more so if you have coaches that also you know, not that I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you about something that I don't know. Like I, I'm telling you something about something mm-hmm. that I've experienced firsthand and been to all those levels firsthand. And you know, when I'm telling you these things, I'm not telling you to to make my ego feel better. Like I'm done. I'm good. I, I had a great career, but I'm just telling you these things because I want you guys to have some of the same successes that I had. Right. So like mm-hmm. for, it's an environment that it's like, you know, uh, the, the the players are bought in right away. I don't have to tell, like, someone there, like, hey, are you serious about this? You know, like, I want it to be an environment where we have fun being serious about the game. And, and, and you know, the work will eventually show for itself is, is sort of the mindset that we have. So that's the big thing that I'm doing right now. Um, I, I don't anticipate it really stopping or going the other way just cause i think we like i hate the word new normal but it just it is where we're at like we're I, I, yeah. with covid and everything I, I don't think that this is a a everyone who looks for a quick fix is is kind of lying to themselves and setting other people up potentially for you know uh, not a harmful situation this is going to be something that is going to take a while to get through and like when you think about time like if there's a kid in grade 11 I don't think that kid in grade 11, his dream should be done just because of COVID because in a, if it takes a year to get the vaccine, guess what? Like, or if you're in grade 12, you, you lost. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time you lost. I'm saying in those, like right now, let's continue to work. Let's keep getting better. You know, let's make it that if you, know, potentially you use these, these times where you're not playing or not playing at a full rate or high school season as almost like a prep school year. Cause I'm just teaching you college, college drills and, College you know, like sets and pro drills and things that are if you get that to that level that 's what they're going to want you to do so like let's use this as almost like your red shirt year or your prep 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 year to get you ready for whatever it is you're saying you want so that's the big thing that're that we're, that i that 'm focusing on um in terms of like i guess you if you, I want to look five years down um the younger program that I have, which is three point basketball, the reason why I love that program and like i 've tried to put so much energy towards it is. Uh, me and my business partner Mark Curtin, who he had already started it, but it was what When he started it, what gravitated me towards it was it was from kindergarten to grade five at that time, and I was like, I would love to be able to, you know, from going to Europe to going to playing in the states. I just noticed that a lot of these places where basketball is really a focus, and they have they're achieving a lot. Even growing up in Toronto, the basketball started being introduced to the kids at a way younger age, whereas here for whatever reason it's getting better in the last couple years but for whatever reason we waited too long and then it's like you know either their basketball iq is a little bit too low or their touches or they're just they just haven't touched the ball enough right so um with me having young kids i just thought this is a no-brainer like why don't i try to help at the younger age make it that like you know i know enough drills that are fun like i want to play those games too like let's play like dribble knockout like let's play all these fun kid games, but like with, while they're having fun, they just don't realize they're putting in hours with the ball in their head. Right. So that's that younger program. Really. I want to see that thing grow more. And and I'm hoping that my kids, as they grow up even more, they're in it right now. They continue to develop in it because it can't just be looking to focus on like the, the older kids, who's the best kid that's out there. You have to try to develop the culture and develop that love for the game at a younger age not competitively just love the game just like the same way i love soccer like have that ball in your head or have that you know and then when you get to a certain age you have to choose you have to decide is this something that you love is this something you're willing to dedicate to if you do you got to show up you can't be going to the Seven Eleven and getting hockey cards you got to be there right if not <laughs> then you know you get left on the wayside but at least give them, giving them that opportunity at a younger age i just I really want to see the basketball culture here continue to grow and that's really my biggest my biggest driving force or what motivates me every day to like be like let's just keep working like let's keep doing this even though covid's going on it's going to happen if we just keep putting in the the energy and not cheating these kids and really working moving with intention moving with purpose
0: good stuff i like well one we'll be sending eli your way cuz i he's like he'll be four next week and it's like i want him I don't, I'm never going to pressure basketball. on yeah. him. I want him to be what he wants to be. Right. But I also, I'm like in that, do I coach him? Yeah. But, man, we'll, we'll, we're coming to the cove, man. Don't worry about that. Also too, like, I think it's good for people to hear because especially in BC and I'm sure you felt a little bit, is this, this like kind of this like club versus high school yeah. and high school versus club and you're doing this and you're doing that. And it's like, if we're all like, Essentially, regardless if you're doing it to put bread on your table or if you're a volunteer high school coach that happens to teach, you should be walking into the gym and practices and film and whatever for the kids. Like, it should start for the kids, right? And I think in our province, because... A lot of our kids maybe have stopped playing for Basketball BC, you know, the best kids essentially, right? Because yeah. of, you know, you've talked on things on politics where there's more opportunity and that makes people angry. And then, no, you got to play for this club and people talking bad about each other. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's basketball, man. Yeah. It's commu- It should be community. Like, we should be building everyone yeah. up yeah. and we should all be saying, like, Kelly Olinick made it and Robbie Sacre made it. And we've got some great CIS or U Sport players. You know, like, yeah. why... Why do we try to tear down when, if we just all support each other and are, and communicate, yeah. it'll work out, you know? And yeah. I think you have that perspective and it's good to hear it's refreshing.
1: Yeah,
0: I know you have no more to add there, but I just thought I'd hop on that because it's frustrating, right? Like, yeah, no. I love coaching high school, but like for me right now with where I'm at in my life, like I don't have the time and energy to do more than that yeah. because it's just not where I'm at. Maybe when my son's older and, you know, I'll be into that and and I'm happy to have our kids go – and get a different coach and get different experience and hear different voice and, and play with different guys. I think it's healthy. And you know, that the problem is once you, once money, once money's involved, people get all worked up and it's just like, we're all here for the same idea. Right.
1: Yeah. I I, I call it. I mean, and again, I don't want to get into the whole politics of it because I I just know that a lot of times people, you know, they, they, they take it very personally and and all I ever want to like, and I think I have, I've, been able to and part of what i did even coming into the basketball community here because of just this is my mindset was uh, from the beginning was i tried because i i I didn't grow up here i tried to figure out all of the different clubs how they like you know like let me like make like not not to be like oh who's this guy who thinks you know or who has like this experience Mm -hmm. i feel threatened by him like because he might mm-hmm. something like no let me go to them so I reached out to like athlete of Advanced City 3D Split Second I've I've run their like fall program for like a for a year or their spring program or their summer team or you know I've worked with Basketball BC as an assistant coach I've done like the you know the targeted athlete program I like I said i I've, I've worked more so than i've worked for myself i've worked that's why i i, I always say when people are like oh what do you do i'm like well i work for a basketball consulting agency i really just say it as like it's half a joke because people are like oh basketball consulting agency but really it's like i just wanted it to be like that i'm non like somewhat non-denominational like my only my only yeah. uh you know allegiance is to the game i want to see the kids yeah. get better so like I'm not coming in to be like, oh, you have to come. I'm stealing. No, I just want, I want, I get, when I see Toronto and I know Toronto's a different like demographic of people, but like I grew up there at, a, at a, the grassroots rate, age, like a 2000 when I was coming up and there weren't that many people getting scholarships. Like, you know, I was like the Jacob Holt, like there was only a, a handful of us getting scholarships, but like to see where they took that and blossomed it into like, you know, everyone will eat. Like, if it becomes a monetary thing Mm. where people get, like, where they get caught up, it's like, no, we just all focused on, like, okay, this kid's really good. Like, if this kid's really good and I know that, like, you know, he needs to get guard skill, like, let me hit up Randy Knorr and be like, Randy, do you got a thing? Like, we need to get him out that way. And if, like, he needs to do this, like, I'll work on my schedule to make it that he's free for this because I know that'll be a great opportunity for him to continue to grow. If we had that mindset in BC, more, it's not that it isn't there, I just say, more Then I think we have a better chance of like some of these guys that are like a little bit of like, you know, they have a chance to like really, you know, by the time they get to wherever they get, you can tell they have some seasoning. You can tell that they've been crafted a little bit, you can tell that they, you know, there's been there's been like like someone's dedicated time and energy into helping that person reach their goal, right? And I think that sometimes here where we where we need to just continue to come together and work together is we instead of doing what's best always for that kid to help him develop we do what's best for our program right and it's like that's cheating mm-hmm. the game almost like it makes me i i really and again everyone we're all no one's no one's a saint here everyone you know we're all human and but at the same time you mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself that i think when you're in something like basketball or amateur but especially something if you love it like and i love the game so it's like i don't want to yeah. just I, I don't want our guys to, in BC to just be like, oh, well, BC can't produce. Like we can, like we, you can achieve higher you can do more. Like you guys have more opportunity than I had at my age, you know, like we just have to come together yeah. and we have to, we really have to try to invest all of our energy into these guys to help them reach their highest level of success. Right. So I think it's still possible. and And that's sort of my message that I try my best to preach and I try to, you know, come across with where people don't feel threatened so much by me. I hope, you know, because I really, my only allegiance is to the game. My allegiance is to, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm in the game, I'm doing it. And I, I, you know, everyone wants their time to be justified and monetarily even, you know, because it's like, this is the world we live in, but there's a way to do it where everyone can eat and, you know, you still are putting more emphasis on the kids, you know, on like, let me give you these kids as much value as possible. So,
0: yeah. I was going to say, we like Dom invited you to our camp a couple of summers ago, our little three hour, you know, yeah. kind of elementary camp. And like, 30 seconds in, you had them in a circle, like barking like dogs. We're my dogs in the house. I'm like, I love it. Right? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? There's yeah. So yeah, this is why I wanted to have you on man, because it's just so genuine with you. And I appreciate that answer. But more importantly, can you just tell me a little bit about your thoughts on, ketchup on macaroni nah that's the
1: uh, i can't put ketchup on my mac not me not personally i how about this i'll put hot sauce on my mac and cheese but i won't put ketchup
0: okay fair enough fair enough uh dom zimmerman just walked into the room again too to the ketchup (laughs) answer he's a ketchup fiend so
1: dom dom's uh i I never mentioned sorry because i i sometimes forget on my, my amateur basketball journey back from being injured, from 2005, fifteen. I played Honey Badgers, I played for the um, SB Battle, and then the team that was really like, sort of like my, the OGs was the Freak Show, and it's all just a bunch of guys that love the game. Ranch for Grandpa! Yeah, yeah, yeah! <laughs> Let's go, Freak yeah. Show's we Freak Show, freak show Friday! Yep. Yeah, so... Uh, a great crowd oh of God.
0: the Thank Freak Show Nation. Yeah. Rand's um, world probably turned upside down when he got added to that WhatsApp group page. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Ransford, you've added a lot to the Freak Show Nation. Hey, but just back to the ketchup thing. Um, just to make this clear, I never ever said that I like ketchup on macaroni. Yeah, I do have a ketchup addiction, but I never said uh, macaroni with the ketchup. Yeah, no, it's not the move for me. Ketchup and mac. I, like I said, I'll do hot sauce, Louisiana hot sauce. Spice it up, Ransford. Great to hear your Ransford. Great to hear your voice. Me as well, Dom. And by the keep way, doing Dom, you, keep me, doing, me doing your thing, man. Me and Dom, if people don't know, we're birthday twins. We're born on the same day. That is correct, July twenty-two. That's right. That's a legendary day, right there. Yeah. Okay, Rans, be good, my friend. You too.
0: Back to regular scheduled programming, man. Um. Who's the best player that you played against or some of the best players you've played against,
1: uh, you feel? I, I've, I've been blessed to play against a lot of, I, I mean, a, a lot of guys that have played in the NBA that, um, but I'd say without a doubt, the best player is Kobe. I, I, I had a chance to play on that 2008 um, Olympic team that, or that, that the States had, their quote unquote dream team. And it was um, Kobe, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade um chris paul jason kidd lebron lebron was injured though unfortunately um and so yeah kobe and and just kobe was for me the reason why i say him obviously kobe's kobe but he just was on a whole nother level of in terms of um the way he moved he was like it sounds like i'm being cliche but he looked like he was moving at a different speed to everyone else like we were all top level athletes like being as efficient as we can moving really fast like doing things athletically and kobe was always just two steps or three steps ahead of everyone else so when you, you know seeing it at like the level where you're in the game like you know 3d it just felt strange to look at a guy that was moving around that way and mm-hmm. seemed like he was moving slowly like it seemed like in his head he was like oh okay well i'm gonna go here now But like someone's trying to cross him off and then he's, oh, I'm going to go here. And then he dunks it. You're like, how did he even get there, right? So yeah, it was really cool. It's uh, an experience that I'll cherish for the rest of my, my life, being able to play with him. I think he, beyond, we talk about basketball a lot, but then also beyond basketball, I think Kobe Bryant was just a special person in general. Maybe one of the last, as I was actually last night having this thought where I was writing a poem in my head and I was like, Kobe Bryant might be one of the last classic men. You know, he was a guy that, Mm. that that came up like and and i and i say that and it sort of sounds like ap- apocalyptic because it's like oh where are we going from here but he was like you know a lot has changed into 2020 but he was one of these guys that from whatever like he just dedicated his whole life to whatever he was passionate about and he believed in and he did it to the best of his ability and he had a ton of success and there is a ton of times through his career where he could have it could have not happened but he just always seemed to will his way and it was based off of the work he put in and um, you know, obviously he didn't have that long of a time after his career, but you can just, it makes you realize it's not a matter of, you know, the years you have, but what do you do with the years you have? You know, what do you, what do you invest in? So yeah, Kobe Bryant.
0: Nice man. Yeah. Great, great stuff there. And just, and anyway, I think the, the kind of the sad part is it feel like he was just stepping into like that new phase of his life and was going to like really shine in that element as well. But I mean, I think that's, part of his legacy too is is you can think about the what if and that it does give us that reflection to think man we got to really seize the day and and take advantage of every opportunity we get so good stuff um who has been the most important person in your life or people um yeah for me i'd
1: say my parents they're just uh part of uh, or not a part of a big part of who i am is is because of them and everyone could say that I'm sure if you really respect or love your parents, but for me, it's just the journey, like the person who I am and people that people always tell me, Oh, you you know, you're humble and you really just always work hard and you're pretty personable. And those are all things that I directly took from my parents, you know, like, um, seeing my parents being able to adapt, you know, to come to another country, um, in their thirties where they didn't really know much of that culture didn't speak the language great didn't you know their their education didn't fully translate from what they were doing in ghana to over here but to still do it um and to work super hard where you know if you're working hard and sometimes you know you're not getting the full credit i mean again that i saw that in my parents from a young age where i was like man these guys work really hard but like i don't feel like we It's not like we have generational wealth. It isn't like we have, like, a big-ass house to, like, come home to, but they're busting their ass every single day with a smile on their face, never acting, you know? So, like, I learned a lot of, like, you know, you got to work really hard, and sometimes you don't always get the credit. And then, you know, just the part of my whole basketball career has always been about, like, just pursuing a dream, just to be able to say, like, you know what? I I think I can do this at first, and then, like, oh, maybe I can do this, and then, like, "How how far can I take this? And all of that was like, again, I attribute to my parents coming over here again. They, the only reason they came from Ghana to Winnipeg, Manitoba, from one of the hottest places to the cold, one of the coldest places was to raise kids mm-hmm. because they had the dream that potentially, you know, they, they would have a better life for us. Right. And so, like, if you're willing, my parents are willing to work that hard just for their dream, then it always made me realize with whatever my dreams were, like hard work was a prereq. It wasn't like something I should be like boasting about. It's just what you do you work hard for your dreams. right? So.
0: Man. It's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love all that yeah. stuff, man. Um, do you have a favorite chip or bag of chips? Sheesh, bag of chips. Uh, right now I'm on the kettle chips.
1: The, the old cheddar or something like that. They're called they're in the, the yellow. bag.
0: Oh yeah. The yellow yeah, bag. Those are the ones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those are the ones, yeah, those are fire. Yeah. Those are fire. Love it. Um, I've been I've been wanting to ask you this. Well, you already. You, MJ your goat you said earlier in the show is MJ the, yeah, so the greatest we, I, player you I'll think I'll break
1: down my goat for you this is what i'll say and I'll, I'll just, let's go because it, it's, let's go. it always seems controversial but it, and it isn't like it's it's we can't compare everyone to the, like they're different players but i'd just put it like this MJ is the greatest competitor i've ever watched play intensity to win like a guy that will do whatever it takes to win and it's like you could say you'll take whatever it, you'll uh, you you can say you'll do whatever it takes to win but if you don't win then it's just like not to say you didn't try hard, but your credibility for what you say you could do isn't there. MJ is just the only guy that I know that has ever said, like, I'll do whatever it takes to win. I'll bite your head off. And actually, I just won't lose when it matters. And he never did. So, like, I can't take that away from him. He was the greatest competitor um, that, I, that I've ever seen, maybe in any sport. And then I say, you know, for me, Kobe is is like again he always will have a, a special part, place in my heart he's, he's I, I just call it you know Kobe's the mamba which people say which is uh, you know his mindset for the game was something that I, I don't know if I've ever seen before he was uh the most tactical player I've ever watched play in terms of it seemed like he was you know outside the matrix like he was moving around when in those 2008 those couple of years where Kobe was like at the Kobe prime where he, where he was just unguardable it was crazy to watch him play because Kobe could do literally whatever he wanted on the court against the best players and no one could stop him. Right. And then I, mm-hmm. LeBron, you know, which is the current, you know, I just, LeBron's the King and, and uh, LeBron, I don't try to compare LeBron to to MJ cause, or Kobe because they're just different players. And LeBron is, his story is going to be, I think that he might just end up being the best athlete that we maybe have ever seen across any sport. Like, you can't be in your seventeen year of your career and still jump higher than ninety percent of rookies that come in the league, that is still <laughs> stronger than you know, ninety percent of guys in the NBA. That that's still, you know, like I don't I just don't understand how he has the best vision maybe of all time of any player who's played the game. You know, that's not a stretch to say something like that. He you know, uh, so I, I think LeBron when you just look at everything that like he encompasses He's gonna be, when it's all said and done, most likely the best basketball player that we've ever seen. That doesn't mean that he's like puts takes anything away from Jordan. Jordan's still, in my opinion, the greatest competitor and maybe the greatest player. But like LeBron, in terms of what he can do, I just don't know how you can ever put a cap on what it what his ceiling is until it's done. And like no one knock on wood, you don't want this for any player. But like, unless LeBron somehow like something he tears his Achilles and he's done and he can never play again next year like LeBron's not that train isn't stopping anytime soon like he's year 17 Crazy he to think, three man. more years most likely and still be you know the best way I can say it is for the 17 years that LeBron's been in the year from the day he came in he's always been in the top one or two people as the best player in the league that's insane like even last year, he was mm. still like, if you really want to be honest, like he was a front runner, the top three for MVP. Like, how is that possible? Still, right? Like, so yeah, that's that's my goat. That's where I'll go with my goat. MJ is the greatest competitor. Kobe is the most tactical player of all time, and LeBron James is the best athlete and the king.
0: Church, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Two more questions, and uh, if there's someone who I've wanted to ask this question, you are at the top of the list. You and I. You've got me on, I cannot get over Thames right yeah, now. Everybody. That is my go-to. That album is phenomenal. Uh, and you love your music. I know you're you're getting into, uh, you know, drumming and yeah. doing different things. And you and I are always sharing music back and forth. And I appreciate that because sometimes I find that I can find just it's a little bit stale for me. Yeah. So I love to hear new artists. So it's kind of two-parted for you. Give Give us an idea of who are some new artists that you're enjoying. And if you had to pick some top, you know, rappers of all time. Who would those be? You know, listen, Ransford Rempong, not everyone gets both questions. I want you to know that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's usually one or the other, okay? But there but as as a Who's Journey, know? we value your opinion on music. So, let's hear yeah,
1: it. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of current people, it's hard for me because I'm I'm very as, as much as I'm looking for current artists that are like, I'm like, "Oh, I like that sound." I'm also Going back a lot, like I'm always at the same time rediscovering, or not me, just me discovering them for the first time. People that were amazing, that are classics, that I just for whatever reason never took them in. Like so, like even like I've been on this Marvin Gaye, the man, the man uh, album recently, which is like a album that was somewhat sat on a shelf for 25 years, and it's amazing, right? And I'm like, wow, how is this? You know, like rediscovering some old, like a lot of older guys in terms of newer things um like you said thames was uh, i'm i've been a lot into the recently like this new sound of like the afro wave beat as well as like the british pop sound which is two new sounds that are like just sort of slight genre shifts of like maybe hip-hop um and Mm -hmm. within like the let's say the British pop scene which is quite big the like guys that I that I really like are there's a guy named Dave who's really good I like this guy uh, uh Nines who's sort of like the Jay-Z of of like the British scene he's really good uh This
0: full him chicken on a for time before the ice when I was reloading on Nines so me go from bread and water to love's dumb wine that's why I never air calls when she hollers my line my east things fly in a And then
1: in terms of like the afro pop sort of side of things um thames i really like right now who's like a nigerian sort of r&b hip-hop fusion who's really really good And I also, the whiz kid that you put me on the other day it was funny because right when you sent it to me i was like i'd been checking because i knew that i had two tracks from there and the album was supposed to drop and i like every other day i check to see if it's dropped and then I see yours thing, WizKid, I'm like, okay, me and you're on the same. So WizKid's awesome. I really like WizKid a lot. Um Burner Boy is another one that I've really been into um a lot uh recently. So I'd say in terms of like new music, those are some of the the main ones. All oh, but uh, again, I again I sometimes get pigeonholed into bit into just hip hop. I'm also into like like if you, I don't know if you heard of Surfaces, Surfaces is like just like, like it was my summer anthem, they're just uh, sort of these guys from Cali that are good vibes and, you know, good for running music, whatever. So I, I was listening to a lot of them, Surfaces, um, Black Puma is another one that's sort of like a, a newer age soul, uh, neo-soul type of group that I like a bunch. And yeah, so that's a, that's a handful of new music. And then, I guess, in terms of the greatest or rappers or top five, this is tough. Like, I don't know. Like, my I listen to a lot of guys, and I know, like, probably in an hour, I'm going to be sitting here and I'm going to be like, how did I not mention
0: that guy? Because I, but I'd say. Okay. Well, let's, yeah. Let's not go top five then. Okay. Like, just, just reel off guys that I listened to. Yeah. I, yeah. Because five, five is tough. It's a squeeze, right? And, So I'd say,
1: okay, Outkast for sure. Like Outkast for me, I always gravitated towards them. I just, like, I think Andre 3000 might be my favorite lyricist. But at the same time, they just were, they meant meant to me through hip hop what I always sort of wanted to be in terms of not being pigeonholed. Like, I like hip hop, but Mm. I also like, like, you know r&b and i also like like singer-songwriter and i also like like a cool melody and i like and so outcast kind of gave me all of that like they were just they were on another level like i can still put on you know listen to jazzy bell and feel a certain way like i could still take an outcast outcast for sure kendrick lamar is another one i mean for me i'm like i'm a conscious guy i like to and Kendrick was a, a guy in my Europe year, year, years where when I first got into him, I was just like, I loved his, what he was saying and his message and, um, kind of being a backpack rapper from, uh, at heart. Like, I loved that before Kendrick got sort of like mainstream, he was just like a bunch of loose singles and guys that were like hip hop heads or music heads. Like there's Kendrick songs that I probably have that some people haven't heard or, you know, or maybe they have, but, um. I just love that Kendrick's catalog of music has always been substance. It always like whatever he's had from the beginning till now is, you know, it's raw and it's, it's honest. So Kendrick, uh, tribe called quest I'll put in there as well. And tribe is similar to outcast. It's just another Avenue where it was like, these guys are slightly different. You know what I mean? Like they're hip hop, but like they're, they got a message and they're, you know, not afraid to, sort of step out of the box of like I was never and I'm not now and so I'll just admit it on on here I'm not like a I'm not a hard ass I'm not like uh I'm not one of those like yo like I'm only into the trap music and like yo you know like I'm not that guy I'm just not so like through hip-hop sometimes people when you hear someone who had a harder life rap then you think like yeah I gotta be tough and I gotta be this and that but like it's like what happens for all the guys that are more like me right like I felt like Tribe Called Quest Mm -hmm. was like one of those groups where you could just bop and be yourself and you know be a little silly or whatever and listen to them so I I love their their discography uh Jay-Z um Jay-Z's up there just because Jay-Z's the GOAT I mean he really is Sort of, he got people into the mindset to realize that, for me at least, that like through hip hop you could really tell stories, like you could really paint a full picture and um, of of sort of your scenario and who you are. And again, I I said this in an interview the other couple weeks ago, but um, Jay Z is sort of how I got into poetry. I was doing spoken word, like I was reading his book Dakota, and that's how I uh, I read about just how he could be his thing was he never wrote things down and it just tripped me out i was like that's not fair you know that's my mindset i like how could jay-z do that it's like it was bs i remember i was pissed off i was like it's not fair like there's no way that jay-z could just write these rhymes in his head like what does he got some special brain like a beautiful mind and then i just went to bed thinking like let's just write a rhyme somewhere and just remember these three lines and go to bed and wake up and then i woke up and i could remember it and then i kept doing it by the end of the week i wrote a three-minute poem and then from there I just kept practicing and doing that and now I have let's say fifteen poems that if I could remember the beginning of it, boom, I can rattle it off. So like Jay Z's been an inspiration to me sort of in that way and I gotta give him credit for that. That's dope. Yeah. And then that's the dope, last man. one's like on my wild card, I'm gonna go with uh even though he's an enigma and he pisses me off and he doesn't release enough music, but I just think that
0: Can I guess yeah. most deaf.
1: No, but that's good because most deaf could have been there. You want to take another one
0: when you said enigma and not enough music yeah, i was like it's gotta be most.
1: oh my right yeah and, and J electronica he's different like he's like for people who are J electronica fans they're just like half the time they're just like i can't stand this guy but it's just when he crafts, <laughs> when he crafts beautiful music when he like gets to a place where it just i, I love music because it, it, it's able to make me like reminisce and take me to certain places where i can like even though I'm listening to music, it's taking my mind somewhere else. And Jay has this ability to almost be like, uh, some type of mystic. Like, I'm like, where are you from? Are you even human? Like, what are you talking about? Like how did, and again, I'm a deep person in my mind. So that's why for me, Jay electronica is just, uh, even though he doesn't have enough music out, he's someone that is just, I always, I always somewhat come back to, not often because, but like when I do, I'm just like, I love this guy. Yeah.
0: So that's my five. Love it, man. When he dropped a written testimony, yeah. and it was during COVID, like I couldn't, I couldn't get around the lyrics, man. I yeah. was like, this guy. And then he was supposed to come to Vancouver. Did you know that? No, I
1: didn't. Got canceled, eh?
0: Yeah, it was like the, literally the week after everything shut down, and I had tickets to Fortune, uh, and it's just it's been postponed or whatever. But if he ever comes back, we're going. One hundred percent. Okay. Like that, oh, he's, man, what a list. Well done. Well done. Appreciate it, man. I'm looking at this time and just thinking about, you know, you're the kind of guy I could just chop it up with for days and days. And, you know, and before we let you go and and, uh, maybe give a last shout out or any thoughts, um, last question for you would be, you know, if you could do it all again, you would what?
1: I wouldn't change a thing i mean again like i my story like i said and i always try to make it uh applicable to that a lot of these like you have to understand that adversity is part of the journey you know and like kobe said it best what is it his line is uh the uh the the dream isn't the isn't the destination it's the journey right like it's like I learned way more like I was was talking to an athlete the other day who also blew out his knee and I said I learned way more about myself in that year when I blew up my knee than I did probably playing the two three years prior so like um, I wouldn't change a thing I wouldn't like uh, playing basketball and having those highs and lows and not being invited to the national team and making it and not making my grade nine team and then getting a scholarship, not having my coaches think I could play at a high level then proving them wrong. All that stuff just really equipped me for like, for real life. And, uh, I, I find that like, um, there's not many scenarios that I have to deal with now on a day-to-day basis. Like real life's way harder than playing ball, but like, there's not many scenarios where I'm like, no, I don't know if I could do that. Or I like, even if I doubt myself, like, the I have a quick correction to that doubt where it's like Rance, you got this, and all that is from those experiences that I that I experienced on the court. So I would say like yeah, it, it gave, gave me a lot of resiliency, um, helped me to persevere, right? And um, those are things that I will I will always take from with me, and, and the beautiful memories that I had of the game, I still cherish them. I still have great relationships with a lot of these old teammates that I had. That you know those those relationships they're sort of there for life, right? When you really put in certain types of energy with a team and a certain group of people, that doesn't go anywhere. So um, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. I loved it. It's uh, it's been a great ride, and I'm still enjoying being about the game and still being here. I still think that for me, it's a it's a blessing, and uh, I'm very I'm very lucky and very like blessed to be able to still be around my passion every single day. Like I said, I've only had a job for, I'm 39. I've only had a job for three years. That's not normal. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that means that you're, you're like, I. sometimes <laughs> we're like, oh, I hope I can retire at 54. And I'm like, rance, like, <laughs> don't let them know. Because if you make it to 10 more years of doing this, you've never actually worked. You know, like that's my mindset. Right? <laughs> and so, yeah, I love the game. The game has given me way more than I've given it. I'm just trying to, to give back a little bit now.
0: I got no more words, man. That's that is how you summarize that question and answer that, man. Um, Beyond thankful that you took the opportunity to sit down and chat with us. Any last thoughts or shout outs? Anyone you feel like maybe you've missed or uh...
1: no? I mean, again, I want to just say thank you to you guys for having me to open up the platform to have me on the show. It's an honor for me, and I guess just to if there's any basketball heads out there that are that are you know in high school or whatever university, whatever you're at right now. I just, my big message for the rest of this year is, you know, just every day, day by day, and move with purpose. Like, there's a ton of opportunities. We always give ourselves reasons why there aren't opportunities to get better. There's a ton of opportunities every single day to get better. And if if you come out of 2020 the same person you were in 2019, then you lost out. Someone's going to be, you know – ahead of you in some way or fashion, right? So take advantage of the opportunities that you have right now. This is a great year to continue to level up.
0: You got it, man. You heard it. And uh you know we'll we'll tag ranz in his, you know, in his social media and, and for young athletes wanting to reach out, you know, send a message to him. He's an open book and uh, you know, he can provide a lot of uh a lot of great wisdom for a lot of people. Thank you for a great episode, my man. Shout out to our sponsors and everybody take care um, lock in, um, and we will see you on the next episode.